welcome back, dear listeners. I hope you enjoyed the Shakespeare special last week. This week, we're going to take a darker turn, though, and talk about historical pandemics, because I think knowledge is power, and if you better understand what we've dealt with in the past, it'll help put what's happening now in perspective. And with the rapid spread of COVID-19, people across the globe are feeling anxious and uncertain. It's really important to remember that we've been here before, many times, with less technology and less knowledge about health, medicine, and germs. So before you rush out and buy some more toilet paper, let's talk about some of the worst pestilences in human history and how we got over them and changed the world. Number one, dancing plague. We're going to start off with one that's kind of silly and historically dubious. In the summer of 1518, a literal dancing hysteria came over Strasbourg, modern day France. One day, a young woman began to dance in the streets. Soon after, more young women joined in. After a few days, many people from town all began to dance in the town square nonstop. They would dance day and night, and many of them succumbed to exhaustion or heart attacks. The event itself happened, and it was well-documented, but the death count is a little sketchy. The number most often thrown around is that 400 people danced to their deaths. However, there are no firm records of the number of deaths, and it's believed the number 400 came from exaggerated retellings. The Strasbourg dancing plague lasted until September, when they just started putting the dancers into the hospital, and they recovered. No one knows what caused the outbreak, but theories include mass hysteria, as well as ergot, which is a mold that grows on the ingredients to make bread. And one of the main theories behind the hysteria that caused the Salem witch trials. Number two, sweating sickness. Perhaps one of the most mysterious epidemics to ever hit humankind was the sweating sickness. More peculiar was that even though it did eventually make it to continental Europe, the sweat, as it was called, was mostly an English affliction. The first known epidemic was in 1485 and broke out soon after the Battle of Bosworth in which Henry Tudor, who later became Henry VII, won the crown from King Richard III. The sweat erupted multiple times before disappearing from the earth completely in 1551. Perhaps the scariest part of the sickness was how suddenly it would appear and the poor afflicted soul would often be dead in a matter of hours. It would start with chills, followed by a headache and severe pain in the neck and heart. Then a fever would spike and the person would become delirious as they would begin to sweat. The mortality rate was as much as 50%, depending where you were. One of the worst outbreaks occurred in 1528 during the reign of Henry VIII. Henry VIII was a hardcore hypochondriac. He always had the best doctors and medicines on hand for any slight affliction. When the sweat returned, he was the poster child for social distancing and had the court broken up into smaller groups and moved to smaller houses. Anne Boleyn was sent to her ancestral home at Hever Castle to quarantine, but she and her father both got the disease. Henry sent his second best doctor, had to keep the best one for the king, obviously, but tellingly, he did not go visit her himself. Anne was one of the lucky few who survived, though, and she ultimately went on to marry the king and become mother to Elizabeth I. And if you missed out on our episodes on Henry VIII and on Anne Boleyn, I will link both of those in the show notes because I actually talk about this in a little bit more depth on there. To this day, no one knows what caused the sweat. A few similar illnesses have popped up over the centuries since, but nothing quite like it. It's speculated that anything from poor sanitation to the Hanta virus could have been responsible. 
All right, number three, plague. Perhaps nothing invokes fear like the Black Death. Plague has been a scourge on Earth for thousands of years, but it was in the 1300s that it really began to do some damage. Between 1347 and 1665, the plague came in multiple waves and killed at least 25 million people, a third of the population, across Europe. Now, the plague still exists, but not that many people die from it anymore. So what changed? Well, antibiotics for one, but also quarantines. Remember, germ theory was still centuries off. They vaguely realized that being in close contact spreads disease. In Venice, a great port city, they noticed that sailors were just bringing everything in, illnesses and all. So they started making newly docked sailors isolate themselves for 30 days. That soon became 40 days, or quaranta giorni, which hopefully I'm saying that right, but probably not. Let's bring it back to Shakespeare, though. Shakespeare was born during a plague epidemic, and since his older siblings had already died of it, his parents went into isolation to protect him. Later in life, another plague outbreak shut down the theaters in London, so he worked on Antony and Cleopatra, King Lear, and Macbeth during the year that this went down. Sir Isaac Newton also was quarantined and had to leave Cambridge and spent the year working on inventing calculus and the theory of gravity. So they were some overachievers. But just a little reminder, though, you don't have to be productive during the global trauma of a pandemic. In fact, that Shakespeare and the Sir Isaac Newton anecdote, they have both been making the rounds. But I just read an article about how traditionally women haven't been able to achieve the same because women are the caregivers. And the article I'm talking about is specifically about the history of Black women in pandemics. And it talks about how Marie Laveau, who we will be covering on a later episode of the podcast, she's also one of the inspirations for one of my perfumes. She used herbs to help out during a yellow fever outbreak, and Harriet Tubman, who was basically a superhero, used her skills to cure Union soldiers of dysentery. Pretty interesting observations, and I'll link to that article in the show notes. Number four, cholera. There were seven total pandemics of cholera from 1817 to 1923, and I should mention that cholera is another disease that is still around today, but it's under control in countries with good healthcare systems not so much in countries with widespread poverty or wars and lots of natural disasters. But in the 1800s, cholera was terrifying. The third cholera pandemic in particular was the most deadly and lasted from 1852 to 1859. But this was also when science finally caught up, and that was thanks to a British doctor who was named Dr. John Snow. Game of Thrones fans, I'm sure you'll love that. John Snow is basically the guy who invented modern epidemiology. During the third cholera pandemic, he noticed a cluster of cases in the Soho neighborhood of London. He did some detective work and mapped out all the cases, did some contact tracing, and figured out that the water from a public well was contaminated, and that's how everyone was getting sick. So he petitioned the city to remove the handle on the pump, and immediately the cases evaporated. There's a memorial at the Broad Street Pump, and I actually randomly saw it when I was in London. I wasn't looking for it and just noticed it when I was walking around, but I didn't know the history at the time, so that's been fun to look into. Frustratingly, while the city did remove the pump, they didn't give credence to Jon Snow's theory as to why it was contaminated, which had to do with the cesspool leaking into the well. So it was another 10 years before another doctor and Jon Snow's rival was like, hey guys, he was actually right. Funny how history just keeps on repeating itself. All right, number five, the 1918 flu. All right, here's the big one that everyone is looking to. The 1918 flu seems like the distant past, but not a lot in terms of how we fight disease has changed. 
The events surrounding the 1918 flu are also shockingly similar to COVID-19. At the tail end of the Great War, soldiers in the trenches and on military bases in the U.S. began to fall ill. Spain had remained neutral during the war, and they had a freely operating press, whereas most other countries censored news. Because of this, Spain had covered the flu pandemic from the beginning and was the only place that people got any news about the flu since it was censored everywhere else. Because they were the only ones talking about it, everyone assumed that it started there. This is why it's known as the Spanish flu, but like what is happening now with COVID-19 and people trying to blame specific countries, I'm going to refer to it as the 1918 flu because down with racism. No one knows exactly where the 1918 flu originated, but one theory is that it came from a military base in Kansas that was near a hog farm and along a migration path of birds. And it was later shown that this flu was from the H1N1 family. The symptoms were similar to COVID-19 as well. In the first wave, the symptoms were mild, fever, chills, coughing, sneezing. But the second wave that hit in the fall included pneumonia that would effectively drown a person's lungs. Unlike COVID-19, as far as we know anyway, The 1918 flu hit young people the hardest. With soldiers moving between trenches and bases and then returning home from war, civilian cases began to spike, and that's when they realized that they had a pandemic on their hands. Luckily, by this point in history, doctors were on board with germ theory and knew that hand washing, not touching your face, and not shaking hands were all things that would help. There were mass quarantines across major U.S. cities, and just like what's happening now, there was also a lot of backlash to these different quarantines. The 1918 flu came in waves for 15 months. There were no vaccines for it. The best you could hope for was a good nurse who provided supportive care. Thanks to social distancing and mandatory quarantines, they were able to decrease the speed until eventually everyone who had not succumbed to the disease had herd immunity. Understandably, people were traumatized from both the First World War and between 50 to 100 million people dying as a result of the 1918 flu. There's no way to know the actual number dead, as many people were misdiagnosed and records still weren't amazing back then. As such, people just wanted to forget the whole thing ever happened, and it actually took decades for studies into that pandemic to occur. Since 1918, there have been multiple deadly flu pandemics. 1957 to 1958, again in 1968 to 1969, and 2009 and 2010, and that was the H1N1. I personally am a very high anxiety person on a good day. Hypochondria is my natural state, but I present all of this to you because knowledge is power and understanding something, in this case, the history of some of our most terrifying diseases can take some of that fear away. The takeaway here is that we have been here many times before with way less scientific understanding and tools at our disposal. It'll be uncomfortable, but we will survive. So listen to doctors and stay home. If you're interested, in the show notes, I have a link to a great visualization of the magnitude of all the big pandemics throughout history. Spoiler alert, the Plaque Death was the worst one by a whole lot. Thanks for tuning in this month. I know it was a little different than usual, but I hope you enjoyed hearing about Madame Tussaud, Shakespeare, and getting a little insight into historical pandemics. In May, we're getting back on track as we dive into the life of the Maid of Lorraine. (laughs) 